0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whittaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. Today's episode is being released just before Christmas 2021. So I want to start by saying a big thank you to all the guests that I've had on the show this year for giving up their valuable time and being prepared to share their expertise and insights on all things hairdressing. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to show your appreciation to the guests that we've had, a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app is the best way to do that. Just go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a rating and review. It only takes a minute and I know it would mean a lot to my guests and to me. I'd also like to take the opportunity to thank you, the listener. So whether you're a regular listener or perhaps this is your first time I'd like to take the opportunity to say thank you and to wish you and your family a safe and happy Christmas. In January, we will launch our online salon management course. As the title suggests, it's for owners and managers. So if you are interested and want to be informed about dates and exactly what the course covers, then you'll need to register your interest to be updated at growmysalonbusiness.com because you are not going to want to miss out on the first launch of the online management program. So with that said, on with today's show. A career in hairdressing means different things to different people. Although most of us start in the same place, meaning after beauty school or an apprenticeship, the next step is to be a stylist in a salon. For some people, they will then spend their entire career building up a loyal clientele and the great relationships and friendships that come with it. But for others, they move into different parts of the industry, whether it's as an editorial stylist or an educator, or perhaps into the product side of the business. There are many opportunities, should you wish, to pursue them. My guest on today's podcast is Mike Karg, and although Mike started out on a traditional path, he's worked in multiple roles and countries, from salon-based stylist to platform artist to photographic work to being an educator and product developer. In today's podcast, we'll discuss the options that a hairdressing career gives you if you want to pursue them, why working in more than one salon has become a thing, and what it takes to develop your own scissor line, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mike
1: Karg. Hello, Anthony. <laughs> Sorry. Hello, Anthony. Um, thanks for having me all the way from Zurich, Switzerland. Good. It's fantastic. You're the first person we've
0: ever had on the podcast from, uh, from Switzerland. But I know that that's part of the story is that you're not just from Switzerland. You are uh, a sort of multinational, you're, you're, you're a, a citizen of planet Earth, um, and we'll dig into that a bit more. So before we do that, let's just start off with an overview of you and your background.
1: Who is Mike Karg? Give us your you know, two-minute backstory. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, my name is Mike Karg. I was born in New York. I grew up in Switzerland. At the tender age of uh, 15, I started an apprentice I then in 1991 moved to Los Angeles in 93 to New York, back in to LA, back to New York in 2001. And then 2003, 2004, I moved back to Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, I run two companies. I have one in New York and one in Zurich, Switzerland. I pre-COVID, I've traveled a ton. I flew many times around the planet per year being every six to eight weeks either in the united states or basically i split my time in the us and switzerland i um do a lot of trade shows i worked in uh, many hair salons six in uh, the states three in uh, switzerland as well doing trade shows in europe primarily germany and switzerland and of course across the united states too I am married to a beautiful wife uh, that keeps my back open and clean or, or, yeah, make sure everything is smooth sailing. And uh, we live in the city of Zurich, uh, where I also have an academy. I am also education partner of L'Oreal, Switzerland. I'm also a member of Intercoiffure Switzerland, and I'm as well a proud U.S. citizen as well a proud Swiss citizen. I okay,
0: hope. right. <laughs> it's, it's like tick tick the boxes, you know. Um, it's interesting. I often say that that one of the great things about hairdressing is that it can, if you wanted to, open up many different doors for different career paths. And one of the things that you've done with that little list that you've just gone through is you've explored many different parts um, of the hairdressing industry so I, I want to dig into some of them uh, I want to start off with how, how you said you moved to uh, Los Angeles in the, in the early 90s um, and obviously you know you were already a hairdresser when you went there but you know you, you didn't have any clients you didn't have any contacts I know from our uh, call when we were discussing this before we got on the call that you know you said you 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 had sort of two weeks money in a hotel or something, and that was sort of it. You know, when you hit the ground, and yet, you 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 sort of settled in there. You built up a clientele, and and uh, you know the rest of its history, so to speak. So, what I want to ask you about is that when you move to a new country or a new city, so like you move to to LA, you you don't have any clients, and and I think what's also important here is this is before uh, social media. So, what advice would you give to someone? who's moving town or country on how to, A, get a job uh, and start building a client
1: base because you've done that and you've done it successfully multiple times. Correct, yes. So um, before I moved to Los Angeles after the apprenticeship, I don't know if I've mentioned that, I moved, I lived in London to close to two years where I also learned English because I didn't grow up bilingual so, I had to actually learn English. So, I did that and there as well, got some additional education. And then, early 1991, January 1991, I moved to Los Angeles. That was pre uh, um, social media, as so you very well said. So, uh, when moving there, I mean, you know, you're 20, I was 21 years old. You don't take no for an answer, you have a big dream, and a big dream is very important, and you go and follow it and you chase it. So how this worked very simply, I mean, obviously, what made it really super easy for me is that I'm a U.S. citizen. So I didn't have to apply for anything like that. And I had a, uh, you know, I had a great education in my pocket after figuring out that I have to do a a, a cosmetology license, which I did then very quickly. That went fast. I was basically able to go out and about and looking for a hair salon. I then found a hair salon there. It was called Taboo. It's actually still there on 3rd and La Cienega. But when I was employed at these salons, because uh, what I wanted to do is work with photographers. So back then, you used to go to modeling agency or hair makeup agencies, and you got a list of photographers, and then you started to do tests with them to build your portfolio. By doing tests with them and building your portfolio and working with some really cool models ladies and gen- also in female and male uh, they then became your clients or you did their hair for free you did a lot of free hair by being recommended again and then slowly building your clientele like that now again understand me right building a clientele was never really my foresight it just kind of naturally happened into it i also was very interested again working with photographers also got then a taste of like working on like a tv set on work a little bit on a movie set and then i also was uh, which was great i had young clients that were up and coming or like maybe prosperous musicians. So some of these musicians made it and then you end up working on their music video. And again, that was the really more attractive part about it because I could explore a different side than just, or just not only doing hair. I mean, I did that in the salon, but not again saying like, I I, I wanna build my clientele. I, I went to that salon saying, hey, I'm going to work at your place, but you do not need to give me any clients. But therefore, I have the freedom that I basically can come and go as I please. Because if you do freelance work, you kind of need to be on call. Okay.
0: So, so how many days a week were you working in that salon?
1: Goodness, it's really hard to say. Definitely a Saturday. I was always there. I mean, it just was kind of random in a way, maybe like, oh, goodness, sometimes two days, sometimes three days. You know, I would say something like that. Uh, And and, again, it it all depends. Yes.
0: And were you getting clients from the salon or were you just, you were just out there networking, like old school networking, talking to people, handing out cards, inviting them in. That's what you were
1: doing. Yeah. That's it. That's what I was doing. was really out there networking again when you did photo shoots these were test shoots you called them to build your portfolio. So the photographer wanted to build the portfolio, the model wanted to build the portfolio and myself. So everybody put in their free time then you know you offer uh, uh, you know you offer them to like you know uh, you you tell them that you work in a salon or you cut their hair on set uh, or or in the studio or, or in the garden wherever it was and then hey i cut your hair for free but can you maybe recommend me here is my business card i mean again as you very well said you're handing out business cards you're basically hustling and, and that's a big part of it as well. You had to hustle. And I mean, you know, having then also your clientele, you know, and especially in LA, you know, these chiseled men and good looking ladies being your clients, you can say, Hey, this is my client. She's my client. I mean, that really helped a lot. And therefore uh, I got, I, I I gained clients like that. I mean, maybe the salon gave me just a very little handful of, of clients, but really I I made sure because I wanted to keep my independence and you cannot ask for an independence when a salon gives you clients, you need to be there. So I said yeah, yeah. from the beginning, I'm interested and I really want to work on photo shoots and whatnot.
0: Okay. So at the time, was that where you were really envisaging your career would go that you were going to be a film or editorial sort of hairdresser and that the salon thing was just a fallback position. Is that, is that what you were thinking or, or not? Have I got that uh, wrong?
1: No, 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 no. I had really, I mean, I always wanted to, to work on photo shoots. That was just okay. kind of like that thing that I wanted to do yeah. because I was, when I lived in London, I went for three months to the school of makeup. I don't think anybody knows that, called complexions. It wasn't Holborn. Yeah, And uh, I did that so I could communicate to makeup artists and understand a little bit. I mean, I was terrible at makeup. I knew I never going to do that but just to kind of understand the lingo and whatnot. So that just kind of helped. But I was really, uh, I was really driven for to wanting to do editorial work. I then find, had to find out quickly that really, um, LA is a little has a little bit of a different vibe or meaning is LA is really not the right place. This is really more about mm-hmm. actor and actresses, which was all good and right. And then in 93 and a half, I moved to New York. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So I yeah.
0: know you moved
1: Sorry. to New York,
0: but then you started commuting, didn't you? You, you were working in New York and in L.A. So uh, talk, talk to us about that. Why did you go to New York? Was that because you realized that that was where the, you know, the major photographic work was coming out of New York primarily, that you needed to be based there at the time? Was that, was that
1: where your head was at? Absolutely. So I went to visit New York. I fell head over heels in love with New York. I mean, at that time I was 24. I mean, perfect time to be in New York at the age of 24, yeah. 25. I mean, brilliant. Nightlife was buzzing. I mean, it's like it was day and night to LA. It was a thriving city. You know, I was born in New York. It's just, there was something about like New York. I'm like, that just like grabbed me so much. And I was just saying like, okay, I, I need to move here. So, you know, New York then to me sounded perfectly, made them that dream pretty much came reality and I knew I want to, you know, uh, wanting to be there. Plus, you know, it was also the beginning of supermodels. I read or, you know, name, uh, the name Orbe in a lower magazine, small printed on the side. You know, you had a few of like these major, like uh, hairstylists that work with all these models that just fascinated me. And I'm like, I need to get out there. And then to make the rent in New York, I mean, by then, you know, obviously, after three years in L.A., I mean, I had a, a decent clientele. Uh, I just figured I'll fly back and forth. And that idea came because a very famous hair colorist, Louis Lacari opened up his brand new location in the early 90s in Beverly Hills. I was working right next to it at Lucaro Salon. And I figured if that guy can fly back and forth, so can I. And I just made that happen. And I flew back and forth and basically made my money in LA to go back again to New York to pay my rent and to chase my dream. Because, again, you weren't really making money by doing photo shoots, building your portfolio and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff.
0: Yeah, that, that's a, a thing a lot of young hairdressers need to understand that, yes, there's yeah. people in this industry who are the big names uh, in terms of editorial hair that make good money. Um, editorial and advertising here. They make seriously good money, but for every one of them that makes seriously good money, there's a hundred people that are, are trying to scratch a living out of it, you know? Um, and so, so you're in New York, you're trying to get more into that editorial, you know, photo shoot world. Were you mm-hmm. working in a salon in New York at the same time? So yep. was, it that, was it the same gig that you went there and said, listen, I want to be independent. You don't need to bring me clients. I'll I'll
1: build a client base and I'll work here. Was it that sort of approach that you took? That was exactly the approach I took. I found a salon uh, in New York. I remember the first salon was called La Coupe. That was on Madison Avenue. I didn't stay there for very long because I remember they kind of told me I have to be here more often. I just looked at them like, no, I don't because this is what I'm doing. So I'm out of here. And I just left because, again... I, I didn't want that maybe, you know, and then I was actually working for a, for a minute. I did like, I, I, I even did some hair out of my apartment that I lived in New York. Then that's just that I have this flexibility and then, you know, flew back to, to L.A. And then I found another salon actually, made, uh, no more so they actually called me up and I found another salon. And they heard that I was working out of an apartment that, hey, you can come and join us and you can do whatever you want to do. And, you know, we're flexible enough and so on. And then out of that salon, I had the opportunity or I got, I, I heard about it or they told me that Wella uh, USA is looking for platform artists. And that was something that was embedded in my head as well. And I can tell you maybe a little bit more about it, why this happened. But that's then what I basically did. I went to that audition in Inglewood, New Jersey, where Wella was located back then. Because Wella, uh, which was more so known in the United States in the early 90s, more so known as Wella Balsam. And that's really not the image that they hadn't wanted to be. So they completely did a facelift and looking for new people, and then I was on that audition and I basically made the audition and then made it into the win team, which was the Wella International Network team, which was then my first basically platform geek that I was able to do when hitting all the trade shows.
0: Okay, so that's when you you then focus more on the, the salon industry as opposed to the editorial and fashion industry. That's when you started to really focus on that side of hairdressing. But I, I want to go back to i'm intrigued i'm intrigued by you working in because this is a this is a thing now more and more i know people who you know they live in manchester they work in a salon in manchester four days a week in a salon in london one day a week or they live in in los angeles but they do a week every month in chicago or they live in melbourne and they want to work a couple of days a month in sydney and it's becoming a real thing and and you were doing this a long time ago, you know, we're not we're not talk, we're talking pre-social media again. So it was interesting how you said, you know, uh, Louis Licari was was doing it. He was a big name, but you you had the um the you know the the imagination to say to yourself, if he can do it, well, I'm going to do it as well. So, and you already had clients, obviously, in Los Angeles, and you knew that you could make money there to sustain living in New York. So you, you started traveling back, what, once a, once a month? Or did you do a week every month
1: or a couple of days? Or how did that work? It worked like that. I went there religiously. And I have to say religiously because you have to be consistent every six weeks. Okay. You flew back and forth. Uh, yeah. I mean, I flew back and forth. And yeah, it, I, I just made this. And I stayed out there for about four to five days. Yeah. And, you know, I had, because I went back to a place that I already lived in, I had a great setup. I was living for free at my, you know, at friends' places. And also back then, uh, Anthony, it was, okay, so hold on, there's a, your hairdresser, you know, people back in LA, your hairdresser is flying in from New York. You're waiting yeah. for your hairdresser from New York to fly in to get your hair done. So now yeah, yeah. you're almost, now you're cool. You your now you're like, up. okay, no, no, this guy must be good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so matter of fact, I, I built clients. I mean, it was, it was great. So no, it, it, you started to play, to play that car. Plus also the clients in New York weren't going like, whoa, you're flying out to LA, well, you must be good that you are having a clientele out there. Because again, as you mm-hmm. said, it wasn't really a thing to do. Now, we're in a completely different time. And matter of fact, mm-hmm. I receive phone calls on people asking me because they know that I've been doing this for a long time and and, 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 and successfully, I mean, very consistently. Uh, I have to say, and then I give them my little spiel on what is very important. But yeah, every six weeks.
0: Okay, so you know, you just said that you'd stayed with friends, which was which makes it handy, basically, uh, because right. there's there's obviously the the practicalities of making that work. You know, accommodation, if you've got to pay for it, is is not going to be cheap. Uh, obviously, you've got airfares, you've, you've got all those other costs, which. Must make you question: Is this even worth doing? So obviously, it was worth doing for you, because as you were saying, it was pretty much financing your existence in New York, because you could make money in uh, in uh, Los Angeles, doing here to to survive and and get things going in uh, in New York because of that. But I know from our previous conversation that that this this expanded in that you. Um, You were working in multiple salons in multiple different countries and in different cities. I think you said to me at one point you were working out of nine different salons. So, I mean, maybe that's excessive. But it's interesting that someone can do that. So, so talk to us about that for a minute, and then we'll get back
1: to your your Walla Win team days. <laughs> okay, great. So, yeah, um, we, we, the, the the nine salons that happened to when I moved back to Switzerland uh, seventeen years ago. So, to sustain the six salons in the United States that I worked out of, and I also have to say I also work with. Uh, uh, Michael Connolly. Michael Canali is a, a well-known ha- hair colorist and I basically was his hair cutter. Uh, uh, and then, for instance, we, I was working at his salon in, in, in Beverly Hills, uh, also at the salon in the Pacific Palisades, which is also part... Uh, of, of, of california right next to santa monica and then also i flew to washington dc with him to help him uh, do clients there then i worked at a salon in boston which is called interlocks that all started because i did a, an in-salon education that they liked it so much and they knew that i have that program that they can basically hire me and i will come to the salon and do clients and so on the same thing in Memphis, Tennessee as well, in uh, Germantown. So uh, all these, uh, all these six salons, basically or five salons, they did the appointments were made through the salon, and then New York City, which where my heart was at, salon top up still as of today, I worked there at, and I all these uh, 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 clients I was scheduling by myself. So uh, some of it was, you know, being hired by a salon. Some of it was putting myself together with that you know, hair colorist or then the other one was all by myself because I had a good clientele in New York. And then here in Switzerland, I was obviously working here at my showroom in Switzerland at the Academy. And then also you can't expect from people that are two hours away, let's say if somebody from Canton Bern, which is about a two hour drive away from here, that they will come to Zurich all the time. So I basically implemented the same system, found a salon, that I could go out, that there were interests for me coming there it was a little bit new to them, but they liked the idea. And that was basically 15 years ago. And I still go there. Matter of fact, I'm actually going there later this month and um, also doing the same thing in another Canton Fribourg, which is the French part of Switzerland. Uh, also, uh, I'm doing that as well, helping somebody else that has a little bit, a lot of clients that works all by herself. And she's actually happy I come in. And she also thinks it's a cool thing because she can bring in someone and it doesn't interfere with her business. And, uh, and, and, you know, you cannot always accept people travel to you. So maybe sometimes it's easier if you go closer to them so they can come and see you.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And so what I'm taking from that in terms of the, the lesson for anyone wanting to do that is that you have been consistent you go there you cut their hair today and you say i will be back here in 6 weeks and you do not mess them around if you say i'm going to be there in 6 weeks you're there you you have a schedule you stick to it and you really manage that schedule to to make it work because as soon as you start missing people around and changing appointments then you lose them and the whole thing falls in a heap doesn't it so consistency is is the key to that yeah
1: Consistency is a major key to that. And of course, nowadays, it's much easier because you can also let your clientele known via email, text message and whatnot. And what's also very important is actually when clients reach out to you, return, that email and message and let them know. And then, for instance, people that I know that do that as well, they can schedule their rhythm out to like six months in advance because the thing is, is clients will come and see you, but there's nothing worse than when they have to go and figure out when you're going to be here. But -hmm. if you let them know in advance, they can actually schedule. It's the same thing when you're in a salon, and you let them know, listen, I'm gone from July 15 to July, August 15th so summer vacation. Okay, people know. So now they can schedule. And we all know people actually schedule sometimes even their vacation around us. They want it sure, to be exactly. there. Yeah. I mean, they get out of their way. That's what it is. You need to let the people know. You need to communicate this. And it shouldn't be, it should be easy for them, mm. you know. And and I'm I'm all about easy. It's it's so easy to actually do this. Yeah. So you know, pre-social media. I mean, goodness, when I used to fly to LA, we used to make up these post postcards with like a funny image on it that hey, I'm on my way to LA, I'm coming from New York. I mean, we put in so much TLC to really make this happen. So yeah, it's totally We're, possible yeah. nowadays, so much easier.
0: where exactly Instagram, social media, whatever, cool. you know, DMing yeah. people, text messaging. So much easier. Okay. Let's go back to, it seems like you had a moment where you found a new direction in life and, and that was the, the platform work that you alluded to. I think you said it was with the, the wind team. Um, and so is am I right with that, that you sort of thought to yourself, wow, this is what I want to do. Like be an educator on stage, an industry educator. Was that like a, a defining moment that you'd found a a, a passion, a direction that that, uh, suited
1: you better? Was that that what was going on there? Um, What I have forgotten maybe to say in the very beginning, but when I did my apprentice, um, my very first hair show was Salon International in Earl's Court. Mm -hmm. It was 95, 96. and, And I saw... Trevor Sorby on stage and he just launched his product line. And I was just stood there in front of that stage with my jaw dropped. He's doing hair, he's talking, he's using his hands while he was talking, he's explaining feelings. I mean, he, you know, he still actually kept that when you saw him years later. He's like how he explains and how he gotten into it and everything. And I was just so memorized and flashed that I said, this is what I want to do. Meaning there was just an other part in there as well. I always knew this is something I definitely wanted to explore Mm -hmm. as well. And then I guess the right time arrived with that Wella thing. And then, yeah, I mean, being at the right time at the right place. And it really was. And being at that salon as well back then, that actually told me about it. Because if I wouldn't have been at that salon, I would have maybe never even knew about it. Mm. Now, about thing. Yeah,
0: I, I I know from a technical point of view, from a creative point of view, that as a hairdresser, you are very passionate about uh, dry hair cutting. Um, talk to us about what you see as the
1: advantages of that. Well, you know, how, how did that how did that come about? Um, Yeah, there's a little bit cool little backstory on that. So dry cutting, of course, started with, you know, working on on sets, on photo shoots, and then as well, of course, lamped over later uh, into when you were on stage with... uh, uh, with the wind team back then. So uh, what happened is you have like 20 minutes on stage, you know, because you want to, you know, there's other people, uh, other teams as well that get on it and whatnot. And uh, so you had to make it interesting. There's nothing more worse than boring uh, than actually, uh, 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 you know, blow drying hair on stage. So it needs to be fast, it needs to be showy and so on. So I started to cut dry hair from the beginning. And I do have to say as well, I mean, even working at the salon uh, 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 before that, I started to notice myself to finish more hair dry or cutting more hair dry versus when it was wet. So that became a whole thing. I am cutting dry hair. Look how great this looks. And that's kind of how this all crystallized out of it. Okay.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, I love working with dry hair as well. I mean, I usually cut hair wet when I cut hair, but I love finishing it dry because you can't really see how the hair moves and stuff properly exactly. until it is dry. So in varying degrees, I mean, I, I do that, you know, a bit as well, but I, I know that a, another one of the many things that you've then decided to do is that, you know, at some point in time you woke up and you decided that you needed to create your own line of scissors, which sounds, you know, what made you think that the world needed another scissor brand? and And how did you go about turning that dream into reality? Because I know that what you didn't do was just put your name on someone else's scissors. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have got their name on a, on a on a, another, you know, manufacturer's scissors, but it's branded with them. And I know you didn't go that route. You, you, from what I understand, you started it from scratch. So so talk to us about that part of your journey because uh, it's fascinating. And you know, I can see on your website that you've got a lot of different shares that essentially uh, are your line of
1: shares. That is absolutely correct. So how this came about is very simple. So I was using a shear that I have from my apprentice here still. And it was a texturizing shear. And that shear wouldn't last for more than five haircuts. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, this can't be it. You cannot tell me that you cannot manufacture a shear that would last longer. So what I did, and, you know, very well understood. This was over 20 years ago. Uh, I, yeah, sorted out, launched out, did some research about where I could, you know, maybe manufacture a shear, Uh, talking to people. Uh, Basically I said, listen, I have an idea for a shear. And they said, yeah, you can send in the drawing and we would uh, then make a prototype. So, you know, you don't go and reinvent the wheel, you know, you just make it better. So I took that scissor but made it what I think was missing. And then the first prototype happened. And then the second prototype happened. And I think that was pretty much it. And back then, over 20 years ago, I really hit the nail on the head. It was perfect timing. I launched something that wasn't quite available on the market. And... um, from there on, it uh, went into yeah. I mean, I didn't never wanted to really manufacture scissors, but goodness, one thing led into the other, and we called it a dry hair cutting shear, which was really the case as well because I was cutting dry hair. Also understood back then, I was not when I was hitting the trade show floor on getting the scissor out there to hairdresser. Um, I was like the first scissor company to actually cut hair in a booth. And as first scissor company to do, actually do main stage work, to do classroom on scissors on how to go about it with this one tool. And then, you know, it, again, it was the perfect timing. And we kind of noticed, Hey, this is really something. And then one thing led into the other. Okay. Uh, so <coughs> I,
0: I'm intrigued because, I mean, I'm older than you. Um, I started hairdressing in 1978 and yeah. in the sixties and seventies, majority of shares came from Germany, I I believe. I may be wrong. There may be someone listening to this who who can correct me on that. But it really wasn't until the end of the 70s, early 80s that the Japanese entered the market. And I think I I got a pair of scissors from a brand called Joel. And uh, I had Joel's and I had Matsuzaki's and I had all Mm. these amazing scissors that were Japanese. And Mm-hmm. And they rarely did last. Well, I've still got some of them. They literally would last forever. Whereas some people might have been listening to what you said before when you said, you know, I had these shares and they would literally last five haircuts and they would go, what a load of rubbish. But that actually isn't far from the truth, is it? Because I could never understand why the Germans, I mean, German engineering and stuff is pretty like awesome. It always has been why they never made decent scissors. And then the Japanese came along and I, I think they stole the market, so to speak. Um, what was it that you changed with your scissors? Well, first of all, wh- where are they manufactured? Or can't you say, are they American? or Are they German? Or are they Japanese? Uh, and what was it that you changed? Was it the metal that they used?
1: Or was it the design of the share? I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. Actually, great questions. Funny enough, that scissor that didn't last for five haircuts or five haircuts was actually German. Mm. <laughs> no kidding. But listen, nothing against any shear company out there. Nothing against mm. any German shear brands or whatnot, and so on. Uh, basically. What I did is I it was a texturizing shear. So back then, I made the texturizing shear a little bit longer because I always liked longer blades. Yeah. And I serrated each tooth in addition. But it wasn't a blending shear. So it was really a texturizing shear. It was like a bigger gap. And I think the last hairdresser that launched a shear line that was successful was like most probably Irvin Rusk. And nothing has happened really ever since. So I was really kind of also feel like, hey, I can take that spot. Something new needs to be done, plus dry hair cutting. And we serrated the edges on the tooth so the dry hair wouldn't slip off when you're cutting it. Because Mm -hmm. any scissor give and take cuts wet hair quite all right. But when it comes to dry hair, you see a lot of bending, bending, pulling and all sorts of stuff and just not cutting properly. And we really made sure that this shear would cut it properly and also lasts. And it did. And again, we just really uh, uh, nailed it on the head. And then from there on, because it was a dry cutting shear, I mean, I completely took that route. And I think there is no other company out there that celebrates cutting dry hair as much as we do we have launched I mean, that was the first shear line that of course came a little bit later that started to polish off the edge on a scissor so that means it wouldn't cut the straight line anymore it becomes a sliding shear we launched other kinds of blades that you can or finishing on the blades that you actually can cut and that you can actually slide hair with without bending pulling ripping on the hair So, you know, I've relaunched a curved chair that would really cut well from the pivot to the tip. I mean, we've done so many great things and that really is that, that like, at this point, it's like you can give the hairdresser a tool and you can make cutting hair so much easier. And I think that was, you know, that's the, the whole thing behind it too. It's like you're giving them a tool you don't need to change the way you learned how to cut hair but you can just apply it differently use it differently on a different texture hair and you have a different outcome and again i'm not the inventor of dry cutting goodness no but i'm definitely a, a, a company a person that has really put the name on it that made cutting dry hair cool Cutting hair on a show floor, doing again classrooms, focusing on this. I mean, that whole dry haircut. I think I and also inspired a lot of other companies to take that route to also now you can hit the show floor and everyone talks about this is also a dry cutting shear or they use the term wet to dry cut or something yeah. like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, so is on that the- now, are the shears now the main
1: part of your business? The shears are a big part of my business. Absolutely, also education in salon education is a big part as well. We have a, a thing called rent the carg That's when I go and uh, not rent the karg, not a car, rent the karg. That's when I go. To, <laughs> that's when I go to salons to do in salon education. Uh, again, always. I'm a, a, you know, education travels to you. So it's been actually going well ever since the pandemic now here anyway. So yeah, Scissor's definitely is a, is a big core of our business. And uh, I have a couple of other products around the two, but it's really the, the scissor parts as well. And then I uh, also have helped and help other uh, uh, hairdressers that wanted to uh, fulfill their dream on having their own shear. So I, I have a, a few clients on that as well.
0: Okay. So you just touched on something that I also wanted to ask you about was you said that yeah. you've got a couple of other products too. Uh, and, I, and I know because you didn't have enough to do, uh, you decided that you would open your your, your a range of styling products. Uh, um, am I right in saying that? that, you've only, that
1: there's a, how many are there? Are there just the two at the moment? It's, it's two at the moment. and right. um, Correct. And I launched that one product called Car Perfect Styling Wedge, which, which by the way, Cork Perfect Styling Wax, which still sells very well. Uh, Quite a few salons carry that in the U.S. and in uh, Switzerland uh, 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 here too. And it also got named Favorite Hair Product of the Year over 10 years ago by GQ Magazine America, Editor's Choice. So really cool product. But I did uh, launch that product to actually, as well, I wanted a product that you could use to finish off hair with and to cut hair with when you cut dry hair hair can tend to be a little bit statically a little bit slippery it all depends on the hair texture too so always applied something in the hair but then again the product that i applied i didn't like so i'm like okay hold on i need to make my own again that i like so that's how it came all about it and um, i still have this cold car perfect styling wax then i did launch another one it was a volume spray And that did very well. We sold everything, but I'm not going to redo it because um, uh, basically what I had to learn, it was a three-component product. So anything that you need to shake is no good because it separates so you need to launch products that are easy to apply just with uh, with a hair cutting scissors that is easy to use that you have a great effect the same thing with with a hair product it needs to be easy easy to understand and um, but the technology in that product was amazing so I'm maybe we're gonna do something down the line And uh, yes, there has been many, uh, you know, for a long time now, more products in the pipeline. And uh, that's then the next most logical progression to do this, um, to launch then the entire line. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I really admire your ability, courage, whatever it is, to sort of just start another company, you know? Oh, the scissors don't do what I need them to do. I'll start my own scissor brand, or I can't find a styling product to do what I need it to do. I'll I'll invent my own styling product. Um, What I want to ask you is what advice would you give to someone who has ideas, whether it is about inventing Salon tools of their own or inventing a new way of working or inventing a product, you know, which you've sort of done all of those things. So, so what advice would you give to someone about taking their dream, their ideas and, and turning it into reality?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, especially now, you I mean, you see more and more products now out there, especially from more hairdressers as well. It became a little bit a thing to do. Uh, first of all, um, I started off with one scissor because I didn't, this is what I could afford. Mm. So what I wanted to say was that is use your own money. Don't depend on other people's money because this will keep you in and you, you can react very fast and you can definitely sleep better at night. Mm. That is absolutely important. For instance, in 2008, and I know, in fact, uh, people that have products line as well, tools and wet. And in 2008, when uh, the economy hit the fan, um, they had to readjust and to reevaluate and to change things up because they're people that depend on their money because they work with foreign money. Uh, They were depending on that. So uh, uh, sustainable success doesn't happen overnight. It Mm. is something that needs a lot of care, TLC, and hard work. Mm. And again, I started off with one scissor and so many other greats out there. And you need to look at the other successful people that have launched products. Like, for instance, uh, one we know together, John Frieda. John Frieda, when he launched his product line, it was one product called Frizzies. It mm. was one. Now it elaborated into this massive line. Mm. Uh, even Paul Mitchell, uh, I think they launched one or two product. Correct me if I'm wrong. It might be the it sculpting. Was, it was very small. I think I, I think it was, there was three, but I might be or wrong. So, exactly. So start off small again. And and that's what it is. So, so you start off small, one by one. And then of course, you know, that's just, that's what, and, and really use your own money. So you don't depend on anyone. And then also if it goes sour, you're not, you know, didn't sign any silly contracts that you have to pay for the rest of your life money back. So I think that is what's very important. And, you know, again, I, I, I I often see that, like, you know, people always think they need to come in with a bang. No, you need to come with something that's really good, something that you obviously use. So, for instance, a tool, a tool, a hairdresser that you use that makes your life behind, you know, cutting hair on clients easier. So you also have a story to tell. Mm. It needs a story around it. Why is it any better? This helps me. That makes me that much better and and that you know that around and then of course you know you need time to 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 nourish this it's like a baby i mean it needs it it needs it needs it needs a lots of tlc it needs hard work it, you need to be out there you need to be present you Need to show up, you uh, get when you sell a product, you get emails, you get DMs because maybe they're not happy or they have a question or in a scissor case, it fell on the floor and has a nick in it. They need to fix it or this and that. So, you know, customer service, just like running any salon too. You need customer service. the same thing. I mean, it's B2B. It's not B2C. It's B2B. So the hairdresser is now my client and I take very much care of them because I know... How when I buy something and it doesn't work, I get pissed. So mm. you pick up the phone, you want an answer, and or, or you want an email back, and that's what we definitely make sure. So that's a whole other part too. It's like the back end, very important.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, some great advice there. Both of those things. Um, no. I particularly love that bit about use your own money. Um, no. I heard an expression once that was it was something like you should grow at the rate of cash flow. So, as your cash flow grows, then your business grows with it and and that you know so many entrepreneurs have a big vision, but they want you know to do it all in one hit, and so they go into a lot of debt to do that and there's a lot of valuable lessons that you learn along the way that because you start small, you don't lose your shirt in the process when things go wrong. Do you know what I mean? you can fine tune things and you know, you've made a mistake, but it's a small mistake because you've only got a small line, a small, you know, uh, investment in it, and, and it's not going to destroy you. Whereas you make a big mistake with a big brand uh, and a lot of debt and it, it can, you know, set you on your backside. So so great advice there. Um, one thing I'm curious about with you is why you've never opened your own salon. I'm sure you've thought about it. I'm, I'm sure maybe you've had offers to do it. So, So why have you never done that?
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I get that asked a lot. Uh, I think my favorite answer to that is, uh, to say every salon owner and trust me, I've met a lot, every salon owner that I've met female or male doesn't matter. One thing they told me, don't open up a salon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, I think any business comes with headaches. Mm. So, uh, uh, it's a clear thing. It was never on my radar to open up a salon because when you open up a salon, you need to be there and need to be present. So from the history, and again, it was never in my DNA. Mm. I have other things in me that it just was never the salon thing. And it's just, I, I don't know, I've, I've always visioned this a little bit different and I guess I always wanted to have my own name on a product and i wanted to leave a different mark in the beauty industry and 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 nourish people maybe differently i mean if you're a salon owner and you grow somebody uh, from young to a great stylist that's fantastic and i know there's many salon owners out there have done this Uh, but you know i've always wanted to like obviously that's my way to give back to the industry to to launch cool products, to come up with a cool cuttings, a concept to make things easy, to understandable. And and I think the main reason is really, you would also, again, you have to be, you're pinned down. You need to stay with your salon because you have people working there. And when you have people there, you have, uh, you know, therefore that many uh, 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 problems as well. Good times and bad times. I mean, any, the minute you employ people, that's when, problems come up yeah yeah. exactly i I
0: know look i totally understand and and you know it's one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you on the podcast today is that i think a lot of people open salons for all the wrong reason and Mm. they open salons because they think it's just the next step you know i've been working for joe for the last five years Um, what's the next step? The next step is open your own salon. And there's people all over the world who are salon owners who haven't got a bloody clue what they're doing. And they would have been much better off not having opened a salon in the first place. And so I think it's really interesting to see that there are lots of different ways to succeed in this industry. And opening a salon is not right for everybody. You know, it's a a path for some people, uh, but it's it's certainly, um, you know, not... Um, an automatic next step. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap and they open a business. And then once you've got a business open to a degree, it's a ball and chain. Do you know what I mean? You are stuck with that business. It's like you can hop on a plane and fly to the other side of the world at the moment. You can do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, because you're a sort of a business unit of one. Whereas when you have a salon, it's a totally different level of commitment. and, and I'm a former salon owner and I loved being a salon owner and I had three great salons and, you know, I had some amazing people work for me. But I also had some some challenges along the way and anyone who says they didn't, you know, is going to lie about other things as well. So um, I, I, I was very interested as to what your take on that was. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let me ask you a little bit about COVID before we get to the end here. Um, yep. A lot of your work has been about as an educator you know being um you know on the on the trade show floors educating in salons um you know all that the last two years have just sort of shot that all down so how's you know how's covid impacted on you and your business and and i suppose more than that is what do you see as the future for education now as we come out the back end of covid
1: um yes that's uh, okay good <laughs> let me try to cut this short so when COVID hit yes uh flying before that flying every six to eight weeks to the states meaning splitting half the time in the us and in switzerland and everything comes to a halt. all of a sudden of course was a shock and you know at that time all you think is about you or yourself and i and you know is that how i'm going to lose the business is this is how we're going to end everything and whatnot So, you know, it, it of course, came uh, in a shock to you. But now, close to two years later, and I'll be hitting the U.S. again uh, 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 next March for the IBS show in New York. That'll be the first show that we'll be doing again with the company and the team. Um, Is It actually has been the best thing that has ever happened because um, I was actually staying at one place. And that actually goes a little bit back to the question we just had before, because you need to focus... And stay in one place when you have your salon. So there I am now being in Switzerland, where I reside with my wife, where I live. And for the first time ever, actually, I never spent more time with my wife, which was lovely, but also was able to focus on the business here in Europe. Mm. And that has been absolutely brilliant. So starting next year in 2022, we have some really cool stuff coming up. We have great representation of the scissor and education in dry cutting in Germany and Austria. Also uh, new people here in, in Switzerland. So it's just been the greatest thing ever that I was able to do this and, and focus very much on Europe. Because you know Europe has been a little bit neglected because I was so... Super well established in the States. So, mm-hmm. you know, this was actually really a great thing. And now to answer the other question with uh, education, I mean, digital obviously came through. Digital will never replace education, mm-hmm. in no way. Um, but I think it's a new tool, 100%, but will not replace it. I kind of almost look at it digitally, maybe a little bit like, you know, we used to buy videos, VHS and DVDs on hair education. Now we can tune in digitally, you know, maybe that's just like, you know, the new progression off of that. But I, you know, hopefully soon when everything, and I I hope by 2022, we can like, you know, hit the show floor again and you know, we hairdressers are very huggy-huggy people and we love to see each other and it's important to go out there to see what's up, to see what's new, uh, to mingle. That is so important for what we do and uh, it will definitely never replace. But, you know, uh, it's now certainly something we maybe got used to it a little bit and we'll we'll definitely have part of our roster too. And especially maybe for young hairdressers too, learning out. I think it's a great thing too.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. You know, we need that, the social interaction. I mean, you yep. know, people, full stop, are social beings and hairdressers are social beings to the power of 10. So even though there's going to be a lot more online education, and I think that that's a good thing, uh, it, it will never completely replace um you know the 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 live events i think we need both of them uh, before we wrap up I, I just want to ask you this question because you know you were sort of at the what well, you were an early forerunner of what we've already spoken about in terms of working as an independent working as a freelancer and working in different salons i mean you were doing that 20 30 years ago um, what do you think about the changing business models that you see in the industry today whether it is you know, salon suites or you know, new routes to market for
1: product, etc. What 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 are your um impressions on that? Yeah, oh, that's a good one. I definitely think uh yeah. I mean, we definitely have seen a decline from big salons, and they have been uh, replaced by either chair rent or salon suites. Um that's now in the United States. Switzerland runs a little bit different because I guess we have always had that. Mm. that concept of salon suites because you see a ton of hair salons here and only one person works in there so that's just basically a salon suite of actually having an actual salon Mm. uh, you know on on the street versus like in a building Um, I think it's going to be more and more independently as we go on but that will have its cost for his reach again as well. And then maybe, and hopefully we'll go back into big team, bigger salons again, because I was able to apprentice in a big salon. And that's really a great thing for all young hair sellers being with the team. There is really something special about it. And I hope, and also understand commission-based too, because as a commission-based hairdresser, you can make a great living and income yeah you
0: you do need to have both and i couldn't agree more with you um that you need to have some big salons out there because they're exciting and they're some some clients love a big salon i mean i've worked in big salons over the years i've had big salons and to create that energy to create that vibe to create that culture that sort of brand that exists in a big salon it's something pretty special, and I and I don't believe that they will disappear. I think it's very much a case of that they will live in harmony together, and perhaps a lot of people that have gone down this sort of more independent route, uh, perhaps uh, in time some of them will will you know want to work more in a, a bigger unit again. But but without a doubt, the sort of bigger business of old has to change as well. It has to change, you know, what it offers young hairdressers in terms of flexibility and different ways of working within them. And so I think that's exciting, you know, the, the, the potential that there is, um, you know, for, uh, for getting it right, for reinventing bigger salons, you know, so that the, the small business unit of one and the bigger salon can sort of work together in harmony because at different times of your life and for different people, different business models, you know, can be right, like I say, at different times. So, uh, yeah, interesting to get your input on there. Uh, Very quick, two questions I want to ask you. What is your biggest strength?
1: Ooh, (laughs) what's my biggest strength? Uh, Boom, okay. Um, Definitely the love for the business and for our industry. Um, The passion that I have. To collect as much knowledge as possible, to stay super curious, to be as good as I can be in what I do and not do anything halfway.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I think I can thrive and create excitement uh, as well.
0: Good. Okay. I think that's great. <laughs> I, th- I think that's fantastic. You know. Uh, what what and last one, what do you wish you were better at?
1: Oh many things <laughs> yeah. um, Whoa, 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 yeah, oh. uh, it is maybe not sound so pretty, but it's very true to remember people's names. okay, yeah, that's oh. very important. I am I'm, I'm here again, I said it's maybe not as pretty and' not so you know this pretty, but it's very yeah. true. It's just yeah, I, I, I know some people have that knowledge and that ability. And I admire them so much. It's unbelievable. It's just that you meet them once and they know your name forever. And I am really working on it. And also, uh, yeah, that's really something that I would love to get better at. And then uh, definitely on a personal uh, sport note, trail running, I want to go higher, higher peaks. I want to go longer. I want to see more. And in skiing, I'm an advert skier. I'm a great skier, but I know I can be better at it. So I want to do that too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's good to have goals yeah. things to aim for. Well, listen, I've
0: really okay. enjoyed talking with you. And I know that a lot of our audience would have, uh, uh, you know, got a lot from it as well. You're a very interesting character. You've got a great <laughs> backstory and what you've done in our industry and the experiences you've had are amazing. So thank you for sharing them. Uh, whereabouts can people... Thank you, Anthony. Where where, where can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm super easy to reach. I'm like the easiest cat to track down. I always say that Instagram is easiest. And my Instagram handle is MikeKargOfficial. So that's my name and official. So M-I-K-E-K-A-R-G Official. Right. That's my Instagram, and I think that's the easiest. Or connect me through my website. You can just Google my name. you hit me up right there.
0: Great. Okay. Well, I'll put those uh, links on our website. Awesome. And grow My Salon Business. And I'll also put it in the show notes for today's podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Mike Karg and enjoyed it, then do me a favor. Take a screenshot on your phone. Share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, uh, Mike Cog, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast.
1: No, thank you, Anthony, for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. And no kidding, and I haven't said that yet, but I have been a listener of your podcasts, and I listen to them while I run and they're amazing, and keep up that great work, the diversity, the spirit, the knowledge you have, and a very soothing voice as well, I meant to tell
0: <laughs> Thank ah, you thank so you, much for, for having us. Thank you. That's so nice for you to say. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having
1: me. Ciao, ciao.